AT&T Threat Track is a roundtable discussion of the latest network security trends and news conducted by AT&T data security analysts. Complete video of this show is available at techchannel.att.com. So John, you have a story about the new Modlishka tool that just came out. I do. So there's, um, you know, uh, maybe I should set up the story first. So, you know, when we talk about phishing websites, we see phishing websites a lot historically. And more often than not, what it is is, you know, a bad actor registers a domain that maybe looks similar to the victim that they're trying to uh, fish for. It's cloned uh, as close to it. Yeah, it's it very close be. to it usually. And then um, at that website that they've set up under that domain, they'll set up something that looks like a templatized version of that website to try to trick with a login page, to try to trick the user to, to log in. So Modlishka is a tool um, that a Polish security researcher put out recently. And what it really is, is it's a reverse proxy. So um, what you can do instead, uh, you still register bad actor, registers a domain, but instead of having to like make a fake templated version of the website, they just run Modlishka pointing it at the real website. It's really kind of like a point and click phishing tool, which makes it a lot more accessible to unskilled cyber actors out there that might want to fish your website and whatnot. An interesting tool set caused a lot of controversy and um, it's available on GitHub uh, for security researchers to take a, a look at. However, uh, one of the caveats is I would caution greatly against using this is because um, the code that's up there, it has kind of a, I don't know if it's a backdoor or what you want to call it, but anybody who uses this tool any harvested credentials get pushed up to a portal that the developer of this tool wrote. Uh, it's hard-coded into the software. And he gets like a copy of all of the uh, credentials that have been harvested by everybody who uses this tool. Um, so you'd want to be very careful about using something like this. But it's an interesting kind of tool uh, to be aware of that it could be used against you. The other problem, uh, the, the other significant thing about this tool is that it can bypass two-factor authentication. So essentially, a user would, would hit this website, hit the, the attacker's website there. They would use Google, just as the, the article uses Google as an example, uh, request a login, and put their user and password. The next step, of course, is to send a token via text, mm -hmm. user would enter in that, te that token into the, the bad site. It would then forward it to the real Google site, and then you know, you're logged in. But at that point, the attacker has all three of that and all, all the information that's required to actually get in as you. Right, they so could jump they can, in on your connection, yeah, basically, and they if can, they want to. Yeah, they can uh, act as you, right. essentially. So yeah, definitely something to be wary about. The um, I thought it was interesting. They asked the author, like, why would you write this? And uh, his response was, you know, if people don't provide a working proof of concept, then people don't take it seriously, that it's an actual threat. So it's interesting uh, how, you know, things uh, get escalated in terms of getting fixed at a higher priority um, when it's actually being used as a, you know, a, active exploit in the wild, as opposed to just a theoretical one, or yeah. one that only a small uh, subset of people know about yeah. in a trusted community, so. So the, um, one of the, the scarier aspects of this tool from a security guy is it lowers the bar 
the the, right. the technical knowledge requirement, so to speak, to to enact a phishing campaign. It lowers that technical bar because really you just have to get the tool and then you basically point it at whatever site you want it to look like. Right. And so it's like point and click it's, it's phishing. Point and click phishing essentially yeah. is what it is. So that's concerning. Right, right. Um, yeah, so the defenses against this are the user needs to be you know, needs to pay attention to the to the URLs. Um, I understand that it this doesn't work against U2F um, tokens because that the actual protocol for that type of uh, two-factor authentication has some man-in-the-middle protections built into it. Mm. But but yeah, this is. This is kind of scary. Yeah, it's going to take a, a trained eye, a keen eye, and persistence to make sure that the website you're entering in, even your second factor that you got texted to your phone, is the legitimate site. Right. You know, we've always told you to be careful um, when you click on URLs uh, to make sure that you're really visiting the place that you think you're visiting, especially if it's something that you received in an email or something of that nature and you're clicking on a link. Look at the domain to make sure that it's really the domain that you think it is. Hey Jim, I understand you're looking into a story uh, that came out recently about the secure copy protocol, and it's a bit of an old kind of bug, it sounds like. Yeah, yeah, this one was kind of an interesting one. It was uh, first uh, discovered by uh, Harry Sintonen from F-Secure. Turns out there's a bug in RCP that got carried over into SCP that, that actually dates back to 1983 that still existed until the last couple of months. That bug allows a bad server to push files arbitrarily to you that you might not be expecting. So I might ask for one file, but he gives me the file I asked for as well as that additional one that maybe overwrites something on my system that makes it do something else. So, you know, this is a, is a bug that has been out there, as I said, in the RCP code for more than 35 years. And in the SCP code, since its development, that's, you know, 23 years. So some of these bugs do manage to stay out there for a long time. Did they have any evidence that this was being exploited in the wild by any malicious servers that they're aware of? I have not seen any evidence that it's being exploited in the wild. Um, the researcher said he's going to release the proof of concept soon. He notified the OpenSSH team, the WinSCP team, and the PuTTY team. So. Uh, now that this bug has come out to affect these things, it's very important that, that they get patched um, because it's likely that there are critical systems using that software. So, I mean, new CVs pop up all the time. That's very common. But this bug is older than I am. Yeah. So... Speak for yourself. <laughs> <laughs> what took so long to discover this? Is, is, if we can speculate, I'm just curious. Well, you know, there, there's a lot of code out there that has been in use for years that, that folks haven't, you know, taken a good look at. 
you know, we we get these you know at least a couple of times a year that we'll find we'll hear about bugs that are multiple decades old I would venture to guess there probably wasn't even a CVE for the original RCP bug way back when. I don't know how long they've been doing CVEs, but... It was the first... CVE. Yeah, I don't know if they were doing it 35 years ago or not. Maybe, but I don't remember it. So. <laughs> no, I'm sure they were, they were not CVEs in 1983. I was working in the industry then, but... You guys are making me feel really old. <laughs> it's not my intention, Jim, I promise. <laughs> All right, well, interesting. And, you know, we've seen a lot of, like, like, like you said, Jim, over, I would say, probably over the past five to six years, uh, maybe ever since the Heartbleed vulnerability, it seems like people are taking a closer look at a lot of these open, um, open source-ish product, uh, projects that a lot of people rely on, you know, from a code base, you know, the underpinnings of things that we all use all the time. So uh, interesting that you was able to find this bug. And, um, you know, I'm sure there's more bugs like that out there. It's yep. just waiting for somebody to go find them, you know? Yeah. I mean, researching this technology that people depend on that's seemingly open, it's proved fruitful. So I, yeah. would, I would suggest, I would imagine it's gonna continue. Right. All right, cool. Thanks for bringing that one, Jim. It's an interesting one uh, to, uh, to find and, uh, I don't think it's going to be the last that we'll see of really old bugs cropping up and things that we still use today. Yeah. So. so Andy, I understand you've got a story about a supposed movie on the Pirate Bay that turned out to be more than the user bargained for? Indeed, yeah. So uh, an independent security researcher actually, I, I, I guess he was downloading movies from the Pirate Bay, I don't know if it's you know if he does it regularly as part of his research or if this was just something. Maybe he just wanted to watch the movie. I don't know. <laughs> um, but he downloaded the, the 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 girl in the spider's web, which actually just came out last year. Uh, it's about a hacker, funny enough. But um, when he downloaded the actual folder and he opened it up, uh, I guess what caught his eye was the icon for what was supposed to be the actual movie. Didn't look like a, you know a video icon. And when he looked, started looking into it, he saw that it was a link file, which is a Windows shortcut file. So the security researcher actually found this, ended up double-clicking on the, the shortcut, and uh, observed um, a script getting uh, pulled out of that link file, went out to a C2, pushed him out to a paste bin location, and um, eventually downloaded a payload into his app data folder. Uh, once, that, once that got there, uh, it actually does a couple things. First, of, the first thing it does is it actually uh, checks for antivirus running on the machine, and okay. it changes the registry to disable Windows Defender. Another feature of this malware is that it installs a Firefox extension uh, in order to, to change the content that, that's been served to the client. So initially, what was discovered was that it injected ads. Like if you went to Google, you know, you'd see the search bar. And then right underneath that, you'd see some, you'd see some ads. Right. But it was later discovered that um, in the example, the, ar the article uh, in the in the article, the example that was given is if you if you search for spyware, what would happen is the top two results would be attacker injected results. And in the in the article, the example was that it it actually the top two results were actually for total AV. And if you clicked into the top result, it was a comparison website comparing total AV with, I think it was like Avast or you know, any number of, of 
very popular, well-known AVs, and it said that Total AV was the best one that you can download. And that's like a fake antivirus yeah. software? Okay. It's not yeah. something... Because we've seen, like, I would say, in the past, I've seen lots of those fake antivirus. Yeah, I, I yeah. would not suggest downloading Total AV <laughs> it's and, trusting not that good. It, and trusting it to, to protect your computer. So it, it does that, but, but among other things, it's actually got a, a cryptocurrency angle to it. It'll look through web pages that the victim visits, and it'll look for uh, cryptocurrency wallets like Bitcoin and Ethereum. And if it finds them, it'll actually change those keys to a victim-controlled wallet. And at the time of the article, um, when the article was posted, the wallets, you know, they didn't have a, a small fortune in them. So, you know, I don't know how effective this has been. You know, I don't know if this has been pushed. Um, maybe it's the like, like a precursor. I don't know how many movies out there, how many other movies are not actually movie, actual movies. Because um, the security researcher just stumbled upon this, seemingly. There's no rhyme or reason for him to actually right. have gone there. So, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, I've known about uh, Trojanized um, torrents mm -hmm. uh, in the past. That's common, yeah. Yeah, which is pretty common. So this isn't like um, a completely, you know, unknown thing to me. But uh, the fact that it was a Firefox extension is kind of interesting. Yeah. And then it tries to coerce you or trick you into downloading additional piece of Windows malware that's fake AV yeah. uh, is also interesting. Uh, but, you know, definitely lets you know about the hazards of, you know, downloading torrents just from the internet that may or may not be, yeah. you know, have some Trojans in them. Um, yeah. And as a forensic investigator, you know, link files are always interesting to me. And the fact that link files can actually, you know, result in execution of PowerShell and extract more PowerShell from them, you know, is, is something that investigators need to be aware of. Right, right. Yeah. Well, the best way to protect yourself is don't download movies illegally off the internet. You know, that's one way, but definitely be careful about anything you download from untrustworthy locations. You know, that would be my best advice. All right, Andy, I thought we'd take a look at the uh, internet weather for this past week. And uh, this is the most probe ports. This is just like sheer volume of uh, port scanning activity. Unsurprisingly, Telnet has been up there for a long time as the number one. There isn't a whole lot of change in the, the top here. I'll point out some ones that are interesting. Um, 8545 we talked about before. That's the Ethereum GETH protocol, I think it is. Uh, for the uh, uh, one of these Ethereum um, cryptocurrency wallets that has a vulnerability. So we see a lot of scanning on that. Uh, 81 TCP is typically for the go-ahead web server vulnerability that's on that port. Um, remote desktop protocol we see a lot. Uh, the, the one I kind of highlighted here is 55.5.5.5 TCP. Uh, we're going to take a closer look at that one because that one did jump up 17 spots from where it was last week. So that one, uh, obviously, there's a shift from the previous week. We'll take a closer look in a second. Uh, in terms of most sources probing, the top 10 are still in the top 10. There's just a little bit of shifting of four, five, and six uh, from last week. So not a lot of change. I think Matt covered a bunch of these last week as well. Um, but I uh, highlighted here 5555 TCP, which is different than 55555, mm -hmm. five <laughs> um, So we'll take a look at that. And 5431 TCP also um, is, you know, one we don't talk about a lot. So uh, I thought I'd take a closer look at that. 
So let's take a look at actually what I considered more interesting because they're ports you don't see all the time. Uh, the 55555 TCP, five fives, um, there's not a lot of, there's a lot of scan pros, but there's not a lot of sources involved here. There's maybe less than 500 sources involved, which is not a lot usually. Um, most of them are in Japan, Australia, and the US in that order in terms of um, how many sources we see there. And uh, this is the amount of scan flow. So we're seeing maybe peaking at around 110, that 110 million uh, scan flows per hour. So that's significant enough. You can see there's definitely an uptick in this activity. Matt reported on this last week, I noticed as well. Because um, while we do get periodic spiking in activity and there was some kind of uh, increased activity here, it kind of settled down and now somebody's doing something um, with a small number of hosts. When we actually look at what's going on here in our honeypot, this is a uh, remote code execution vulnerability that they're looking for in the Linksys home router. So this TM unblock that CGI, they're looking on for whatever reason, 555555. I don't know that it actually listens on that, but whoever is behind this activity must somehow, maybe they know something I don't. Uh, that's what they're seeking here. Um, they're not actually passing a payload in here. Yeah, I think what they're looking to see is if they get expected response, and if they do, then maybe they would try yeah. something to uh, actually exploit it. Looks like they're using Python, uh, and they're not trying to forge a fake user agent, because if they were, I would think they would pick something else. Um, but anyway, that's probably what you would see in your own um, honeypots, or if you had something watching incoming scan traffic on that port, uh, you probably see that as well. Uh, the 5555 TCP, we've seen this for quite a while, and I actually have a one-year chart here because uh, it kind of upticked back around January of last year, um, maybe or maybe early February it might have been, and we had kind of this long tail of pretty consistent traffic, and then we started to see these patterns, these sawtooth waveform patterns here, which generally indicates a lot of um, botnet instructions to start and stop scanning. So they'll issue an instruction, the ones that can do it have good bandwidth finish quicker than ones with slower bandwidth, you get that kind of decay. Um, and that's been going on for a while now. And it's kind of like leveled off here. What we found though is while this port initially, we saw stuff with the Android debug bridge, that's not really what they're looking for anymore. Um, when we look at the actual uh, activity now, it's for this Huawei home router universal plug and play exploit. And this is an example of what we actually see on this port 5555 in the honeypot. Um, this URL here where there's a post to this UD question mark five is a Huawei URL for their universal plug and play management. And in yellow here, you'll see they're passing in a SOAP request and trying to set a new NTP server, but instead of actually specifying like an IP address or a domain name, they put a backtick in here and they're trying to exploit uh, to get the device to execute this because it's got a vulnerability that it would do that, unfortunately, which is not by design or not the intent of this field. Um, and you can see they went and it tells it to go fetch a URL um, and then try to execute it. So it fetches it as D and then tries to run it. Uh, and it also CD'd into temp just prior to that. So I went and just went to check to see what that is. And it looks like some Mirai variant. Uh, so Mirai is one of these pieces of malware. I think you had seen this in some other analysis recently you were doing as well. 
Um, Mirai is pretty well known, but the, the source code has gone open, you know, so it's open to the internet. People free, have freely, free access to the uh, source code for Mirai. So there's a lot of these little variants that have emerged. I suspect that's what this is. It's probably not the original Mirai. It's somebody who wrote a variant of it, and they're trying to spread um, by looking for devices that are uh, vulnerable to this this uh, Huawei vulnerability over universal plug and play, and maybe other things it's looking for too that um, that aren't in that top ten, but uh, it's still trying to find. And then the last one I wanted to point out was this um, 5431 TCP. Again, I'm showing a one-year chart. We had been talking about this one um, since last year about how it spikes in these really distinct spikes, almost looks like a comb, you know, it's got a little wobble to it. Um, and the scan SIPs per hour is really high. So it's like 90 to 100,000 scan sources per hour. That's a pretty big botnet um, in terms of the number of devices. Back here is right around when uh, people started to figure out, hey, there's something going on here. And um, uh, the guys at 360 NetLab was actually able to capture a payload from the scan sources that were trying to do this um, or scanning for this and get them to get the, the, the scanner to push the malware to them. And they were able to determine that this is a new family of malware at the time uh, when they found it in November 2018, not that long ago, called BCMP UPNP Hunter. And what it's doing is it's looking for a vulnerability in the Broadcom chipset. I guess the Broadcom chipset is used by a lot of um, embedded devices. So there's a lot of these home routers that are Broadcom, and I guess some of them have this port open, and they have this vulnerability. This vulnerability has been around for quite a few years. I don't know if they actually, I just took a quick screenshot here. The actual Broadcom vulnerability has been around for a while, but I think that's what's behind most of this activity. I still find it unusual that Something is, you know, a lot of times we'll see this sawtooth waveform we saw in the previous one. We don't see that here. So interestingly, the, the traffic that we're seeing for the Broadcom vulnerability um, looks a little bit unusual. It doesn't look like typical botnet activity where you would see a, a, a pretty sharp spike and then sort of a decay runoff. When these things are told to scan, they have some precision in there where they're told to scan and they do it like gangbusters for a very small window of time, like less than an hour, and then they stop for maybe days or a day and a half or something, and then they do it again, and then they stop. This is very you know, narrow windows of time when they scan on a regular basis, um, which is unusual. Uh, we don't normally see that. The views expressed on AT&T ThreatTrack are those of the participants and do not necessarily represent the views of AT&T or any other person or entity.